Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church of Savannah, Georgia. You're listening to the series, Bless the Lord, a study on the book of Psalms. For more information about CBC, please visit www.cbcofsavannah.org. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from God's Word. Still in the Psalms, if you have your Bible, just kind of open right to the middle and you'll open to the Psalms. Um, that's where we've been for the last couple, couple weeks, looking at these great songs of the church, songs of Israel. There's something about music, something about a great song that just, it just motivates. It, it, it causes something in us to rise up and, and to want to do things. So when I go running... I have my running mix, or I put it on like songs that will make me run well. So I don't listen to classical music, nothing against classical, but I got my mix and I got my radio. And so like when the Rocky theme comes on, and it does, because it's on there, it makes me, I'm thinking I got Clubbered Lang, I got Apollo Creed, I got to run up the stairs in Philly. That's what I'm thinking. And I run fast for like 12 seconds, right? (laughs) Until I'm tired. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I were in Philly for a wedding. We're sitting around the table talking with family and friends, and all of a sudden the band, we hear this. Dum, 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 For those of you who don't know, that's Journey, all right? I'm like, Journey, let's go! So we're rocking the dance floor. We're, don't stop, believe. And then the next song was Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. I'm like, it's like worship service, Living on a Prayer. Don't stop believing. It's church. I mean, this is great, all right? And so, but there's something in, in us when we hear a song that, that will mm, get, you, it get you going. It, it rises up in your heart that it motivates you to do something. And we've been looking at these great songs of Israel. And we've looked at different types. We've looked at a lament and we've looked at praise songs and we looked at songs of trust. And the goal ultimately is for us as a church is to cultivate worship in our, in our church. We wanna be worshipers. And so we're looking at these songs. Well, we have another great song today. And it's one that it's meant to, to, again, something rise up in us and, and move us. And it's a song, I think, it's so fitting for us on Father's Day specifically. It's a song for everybody. But I think it has a, just a great meaning, encouragement, and challenge for, for those who are fathers, for those who are men this morning, to, to rise up. It, it's Psalm 101. And this psalm is called a royal psalm. It's a royal psalm because it's written by the king. And it's written by the king about being the king. Now, it's not fitting for men because it's about a king. Application point number one, men, you're not the king. All right, that's the first point of the sermon. Closest you'll get is the porcelain throne in your house. That's the, por- that's the closest you get the kingdom, all right? That's your kingdom, right? But it's, it's fitting because it's written by a leader, David, about being a leader, and it's his song of, I want to be a great leader. I want to lead well. And again, it, just because it's by the king doesn't mean it's just for the king. Remember, these are the songs of Israel. So they're all singing them. Whatever sphere that they might have been in, they're all going to sing this song. And they're not obviously all king. And so for us this morning, whatever sphere of leadership you have been given by God, and you have some, whether you are the CEO and the big boss, 
or you're the newest employee, whether you're the big man on campus or you're just the big brother, whether you're on the JV soccer team, the assistant manager at Starbucks, whether you're a dad, whether you're a mom, you've been given some sort of sphere of influence. And this is a song that is meant to make you want to be a great leader. It's a song that's gonna show you the heart of a great leader. The resolve of a king who wants to be a great king. The resolve of a leader who wants to have great influence for the name of Christ, All right? And so we're gonna look at this this morning. And again, the goal is just like that Rocky theme, that dun, 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 dun. So as you hear the words of the psalmist, there's something in you that's like, I want that to be true of me. And whatever place God has put you, big brother or big boss, all right? So let me read our text and we'll jump in. A Psalm of David. I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before me. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. So here's David. He has been made king, right? He didn't choose to be king. He didn't try to be king. He didn't ask to be king. He was happy being shepherd guy with his electric lyre in the wilderness, all right? That he was content with that. And God makes him the shepherd and the king of millions of his people. A huge task. And so here he is as the king. And what, what, is, what does he want to do as the leader? What does he want to do with the king? What does leader king 101 look like for him? What is that first thing he wants to do? And you can ask the question, where would you start? You've been, you've been made a leader. What does dad 101 look like? What does mom 101, what does boss, assistant manager, sergeant, doctor, engineer, pilot, big brother, co-captain of the soccer team, what does that look like? What's 101 for that look like? What is the first thing when it comes to influence and leadership? What does David say? He says, I'm going to sing. How's that for leadership 101? Let's sing. I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord, I will make music. I'm going to sing, I'm going to pull out the electric lyre, and I'm going to jam. That's what I'm going to do. Leadership 101 from David. Now, we've talked about singing a little bit, and so we're not going to go there again because some of you are like, I, I know I'm supposed to be singing. You're supposed to be singing. But big picture here, what is he saying as a leader? Where does he begin as a leader? What is the most important thing for David as this king? As a leader, it's worship. And if you're going to be a leader in any context, you have to learn to prioritize worship. It, first step is worship. And I think there's many reasons why, but here's a big one. In any 
realm of leadership that you may have been given, any sphere of influence that you have may have been given by God, there is always a temptation to believe that it is about you. Whether you're the big brother who thinks he's the big man in the house, so he tortures the little brother. Or you are the guy leading the team who's gonna give the presentation and your thought is, I don't wanna look bad in front of the bosses. Or you're the parent who takes the kids to Walmart and before you open the minivan door, you say, don't you embarrass me in there. I don't care if you steal, just don't, get, don't you embarrass me, right? That's the idea. Don't embarrass, because it's, it's about me. It's about my rep. It's about what I want. It's about my will. It's about looking good. I'll tell you, as a dad of four, you want to see depravity in my heart. There's two things that bring depravity out in dad more than anything. Eight-year-old baseball, 12-year-old volleyball, right there. Depravity, okay? It shows my, because I want my 12-year-old daughter to spike the ball down their throat. I do. I want I wanted to crush it in the name of Jesus in their face. That's <laughs> All right, and at the end, say, I love you in the name of the Lord. I mean, that's what I want. I want my eight-year-old, I want him going in cleat high, taking out the, the, the runner. I want him taking out, breaking out the double play. I want, because that's just the nature of me. Why? Because I'm like, that's my boy, right? Broke up the double play. There's something in me that wants it to be about me, even in ministry. Something in me that wants you to like me, to walk away and think, wow, good sermon, good preacher, good church, good this. Right? There's that temptation always rather than I felt equipped, I felt challenged, I felt the Lord work. There's something in us that wants it to be about me. And David realizes right up front, I am king, I am leader, I have all authority in this land. I gotta start where? I gotta start with worship because it's not about me. And whatever sphere God's got you in, you have to recognize it is not, he has not put you there for your glory. He has not put you there for your reputation. He has not put you there for your name's sake. It is for his. And the only way you will understand that is if you prioritize worship. It starts with worship, right? And when you look at David's life as a whole, and we have a lot of it, there's two aspects that stand out to me in his, in his worship. Here's a guy, number one, that loved the corporate worship setting, public worship. Nobody loved public worship like David. I mean, he, he was the guy when the Ark of the Covenant was coming into the city, he is dancing in front of it as the king with all his heart, and he's jamming out down the street, so much so the people are celebrating, and he gets home and his wife says, you're an idiot. You look like an idiot out there. And he says, I was worshiping out there. That's what I was doing. And he was. Here's a guy who loved corporate, public worship, the gathering of the people of God. And look, let me just, let me just encourage you, men especially, dads especially, corporate worship matters. This matters. Yes, it's, it's a small portion of your week, but it is important. And as the dad, you need to be the one who is getting the kids up. You need to be the one on Saturday night. It's like, okay, everyone's outfit's ready? So that in Sunday morning, it's just not sin fest as we throw down golden grams and run out the door, right? That you're preparing the hearts of your kids, showing them the priority of worship. 
of corporate worship. That they look over at dad and he has his Bible. He's not, oh, I forgot my Bible again. And he's grabbing one. And, and he's singing. He's not pulling a Millie Vanilli, right? That he's worshiping. It's important. And if you're only here one out of four weeks because you got hunting this week and boating this week and the ox is in the ditch this week and I got this. Look, I know there's times to be away and there's times to be sick and I get it. But if, if this corporate gathering is not a priority in your family, you're teaching somebody something about worship. You are. And, it, and it's, it's not the worship of Christ. Right? It's an important deal. We gather it, this is a, a way where we're to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, to, to encourage one another in our allegiance and our celebration of Jesus as King. It is not all-encompassing of Christianity, but it is important to gather on the first day of the week, or in our case, Saturday's first season, until we get a new building, so that we can encourage one another and, and prioritize worship. And so it's important. But there's also, if you look at David's life, a private aspect to his worship. He loved the corporate setting, but here's a guy who was writing psalms, who was writing songs out under the stars, who was worshiping on his, on his bed at night. He knew what it was to worship in private, his king, to write songs like we looked at last week, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He was a worshiper in private and that fueled the public. And that is the way it is. If you look throughout scripture, those who are great leaders, men and women, and I'm not talking about religious leaders, I'm talking about leaders who had influence. There is always a private aspect to their worship. Nehemiah spends four months praying before he goes before the king. Daniel, three times a day, right, is, is in private with his king. Esther, three days of fasting and praying before she goes before her husband. Mary, the, 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 sister, of, the sister of Martha, spends time at the feet of Christ rather than being busy, 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 busy. There is a private aspect of worship that we cannot ignore as a church, this is important, but this is 75 minutes a week, this room. That's it. And maybe if you're serving in some place, you're here for 150 minutes a week. This is not Christianity, right? Christianity is lived out there. This is important, but it is important. It is, it is essential that you... As a disciple, as a follower of Christ, our, this is the P in our specs that we talk about, that you are pursuing an ongoing relationship, that you are spending some time where you set out just a chunk of time in your day, in your week, where you have private worship, that, that you meet with God. And look, I'm not saying it needs to be like, a, this is what it looks like for us, and there's 80 hours of this. And No, it's going to look different for different people in different seasons. Some of you going to do it at night, some of you going to do it in the morning. Some of you got a lot more time than others, you can spend an hour and a half. Others, you've got nine minutes, because you got to get kids in the minivan, you got kids in there, you got uh, but there should be a priority of private worship in your life. Maybe it's meditating on a psalm. Maybe it's memorizing a psalm. Maybe it's journaling. Maybe it's walking and praying. Maybe it's singing. I don't know. But it needs to be a priority in your life if you're going to be a person of influence. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes we get busy, right? And it's interesting to me that David says, I will sing. Two things he's going to sing about, his steadfast love and his justice. We've seen that steadfast love term time and time again. It's that Hebrew word, hesed, that loyal love, the faithful love. I will sing of who God is. He is love and he is just. And here's why I think that's significant. You will become like that which you worship. The, the nature of worship is that you will become that which you worship. You realize that? 
It's just the nature of it. So this week, this month, is the only month really in, in four years where soccer is actually somewhat relevant as a sport, okay? Right? Okay. Just, just the way it is. Sorry, soccer fans. Um, but, you know, any sport that you can end up nil, zero, zero, and you're like, cool, we got a draw. All right, not, not a fan. But that's another story altogether. But soccer is somewhat moderately relevant right now, okay? And I will root for Team USA, uh, and I celebrate and scream in my house. But, but what's going on in the world right now with soccer? Millions and millions of people are just... Pfft, down in Brazil, going to do what? See their team. And what are they going to do? They're going to show up and they're going to dress in flags and they're going to paint their face and they're going to wave and wear their shirt of their favorite player. And oh, look, there's a Cristiano Ronaldo. Ah, there's Messi and all these guys, right? And they're going to get all excited and cheer, 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 or they're going to cry miserably, right? Their whole life is laid up in the fact that we're going to get the cup or not. They are becoming that which they are exalting, right? They're becoming that. That's worship. And David says, I am going to worship God for his justice. I am going to worship God for his love. Why is that important? What two elements are gonna be vital for him as a king? His love for his people and his justice. And it's a great reminder. You wanna be a great leader. You want to be a person of influence. The way to do it is to reflect and worship God for who he is, to remember what he's done. You want to be a great dad? What better to go to the greatest dad and be like him and spend some time reflecting on him? You want to be a great husband? What, what greater good can you do than go spend time with the greatest bridegroom there ever was who loved his, his bride so much that he gives his life? You want to be a great wife? What greater thing can you do than go spend time with Christ who understands what it is to follow and submit himself to the Father? You wanna be a great teenager? You wanna honor your parents? What better thing than to go and spend time with the one who followed knucklehead, crackhead parents all for his entire life and honored them his entire life? There's no better way. You, where do, you wanna become like Christ? You spend time with Christ. You want to become like your heavenly father? You spend time with your heavenly father in worship. And, and you will be more and more like him as you spend more and more time with him. There's no other way. You can read all the leadership books in the world. You can do all these things. You can get the degrees. You want to be like Christ. You have to be with Christ. You spend time, right? And if, if you've gotten a little bit busy and you've been a little bit too doing this, that, and the other thing, and you know, I, did, I haven't really had a little private time with the Lord. I haven't really... This is the song of resolve for you to say, okay, you know what? This is the way it's been, but I want it to be different. I, I want, okay, today I'm resolving like David. I will sing. Today I'm resolving. I, I'm going to purpose in my heart that this week I'm gonna set aside time. I'm gonna pray for my wife. I'm gonna pray for my kids. I'm gonna spend time meditating on scripture. Today, that's where he begins. I will worship. But he continues, verse two. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. What is he ultimately saying here? He makes these seven statements. I will, I will, I won't, I won't. All these things. And big picture, what he's saying is, I want to be pure. I, I want to be pure. Right? He's going to pursue purity. And that's the second thing. 
leaders do. They pursue with passion, with, with diligence, purity. I mean, again, look at his statements. I will ponder the way that is blameless. And this Hebrew word is loaded. It's, it's kind of a, there's a, a, a cognitive thought there and there's an active thought. There's, I'm gonna think about it and I'm gonna do it. I wanna be blameless. I'm gonna walk with integrity of heart in my house. Even when no one's looking, I, I'm not gonna set before my eyes anything that is worthless, nothing. I hate the work. I hate sin. It's not gonna cling to me. It's the same word that a, fa- a man leaves his father and mother and clings, cleaves to his wife. He says, sin's not gonna be like that with me. He's not gonna cling to me. A, a perverse heart will be far. I wanna be ignorant. I wanna know nothing of evil, nothing. It's a, it's a pursuit of purity in his life. Purity of thought, purity of, of, of speech, purity of, of what he puts in his eyes. And, and I think the key statement is in that verse three. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. And where does he want it done? Verse two, I will walk with integrity. Where? In my house. Where's David's house? It's the palace, right? The place where he gets whatever he wants, when he wants. He, he says, done with this. They say, okay, I'll get it for you right now. He says, jump. They say, how high? He's the king. Anything he wants, he gets in his house. And he says, in my house, in my home, I want to be pure. That's why I want to be pure. We have a society that basically the motto is this. If, as long as you do your job, you do a good job, doesn't matter what you do in private, right? You can do whatever you want in private, just do a good job in public, and that's all that matters. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Doesn't matter what you do in the, in the, in the confines of your home, as long as you, you behave outside, you're good. And David says, not for me. I want to be pure at home. Because the reality is this church, in the world they may say, whatever you do and how it doesn't matter. It matters to God. Your purity, your purity, your holiness matters to God. It does. It makes a difference. David says, whether 10,000 people are watching me or whether I'm all by myself, I want to be pure. And that's a leader. That's a leader. And look, we do things in our house we wouldn't do anywhere else. We do. Things that are not sinful. We wear mismatching socks. You'll drink from the milk carton. You'll sing in the shower. Some of you men still have your Magnum PI shorts from the 80s. You, you wear them at home. I know, right? You, you do those things, right? But you'll also do other things when you think no one is looking and someone is looking. And it matters. Your eyes are the gates to your soul. They're the gates to your heart. And it's why the Proverbs say, keep with all vigilance. Be vigilantly guarding your heart. For, it, for from it springs, flows the springs of life. He said, I won't set anything before my eyes. And a leader purposes in their heart to pursue purity. We stumble and we fall when we leave things open-ended. We do. When it's, oh, you know, kind of, you know, it's kind of no big deal, kind of leave it open. When that is your heart and you are not actively pursuing purity, you will stumble into impurity. And if you read the New Testament specifically, every 
sin in the New Testament except one God says stand firm against. He says, resist the devil, he will flee. Stand firm, be strong and courageous. All these things, right? Constantly resist and put your shield of faith up. When it comes to immorality, what does the scripture always say? Run. It says flee. It's the only time you're told to run away. Flee immorality. Stand firm against everything else. Flee immorality. This is why Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, don't put a glove on it. Don't tape it behind your back. Cut it off. That's how dramatic it is when it comes to immorality. He says, flee. This is how dramatic David is saying. He says, I perverse heart will be far. I don't want to know anything. I hate it. That's a strong term, isn't it? I hate sin. I hate it. And some, look, in a church this large, the statistics say this. Around 50% of the men in this room, in this church, have looked at pornography this week. 50%. That's one of two. Now, maybe we beat the statistics and maybe we don't. 20% of women are in, have looked at pornography this week. It's not just a men issue anymore. Again, statistics. Do we beat it or not? I don't know. But I can tell you this. Some of us are struggling with immorality. Some of us are a little bit closer to that little flirting at the office and lingering a little longer in the cubicle and a little lunch that we didn't tell our spouse about. A little bit of uh, hanging out with the girlfriend a little bit too late with nobody around late at night. Dabbling on the websites a little bit. Uh, and you were close. Maybe some of you have crossed the line and the, and the psalmists say, flee. Flee. Run before you are destroyed by it. You cannot handle it. If you think I can manage this, I can handle it. You cannot. To whom who thinks he stands, you better take heed. If you're thinking I would never do that, you're in danger of doing that. And if you have, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you, in the day of the internet, if you have no accountability online, if you have no, no software, no accountability, no filter, that is just, just foolishness these days. It used to be you had to pay for immorality. Now you have to pay to keep it out. It's the reality. And there's great software and there's great accountability stuff, but if you're not gonna pursue it, you're gonna leave that open-ended, you will fall. As a, as a church staff, the men on staff, we have covenant eyes for all our computers. So William gets my websites and Jay gets my, and we get all each other because we want accountability. And look, most of the teens are out of the room right now, but if you're a parent of a teen, it's not the computer anymore, it's the phone. And if you don't know that, you're behind the eight ball here. And if you don't know what Snapchat is and Instagram, you better start reading. You better start getting caught up. I'm just telling you. Not because, you know, I'm not saying you're a bad parent, but you need to be engaged with your kids, y'all. If you're just giving your kids unfettered access to the internet and you're not, you should get a, I'm just telling you, my kids don't have phones and they've been asking for them. I'm like, yeah, I'll get you a rotary phone for your room. Yeah, that's great. You want one? Yeah, you know, dial 1-800, you know, no way. I mean, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But, I mean, you need to know what's going on. And it's not, I'm not saying, it's not your kids you have to worry about sometimes. It's other people, what they're texting to their, your kids. And you're like, well, I don't want to be a hovering parent. Hover. Hover. 
right? They'll thank you when they're 20. You need to hover. As long as you pay the bills, you hover. All right? It's, it's guarding their hearts. And they're 15. They don't know any better. They don't know. They, they don't see like you see. You've got to guard their hearts. You've got to help them. You've got to lead them in this. You've got to have conversations. And if they get caught, you, you point them to Christ and the cross. There's forgiveness. And, and you help them through that. But don't be disengaged. But it starts with you. If you are dabbling, Dad, if you're staying up late at night watching trashy TV, and if you're on the internet and you have no accountability, don't expect your 16-year-old boy to act any different. Right? You gotta be pursuing purity. And it starts in the home. It starts within my house. I will do this. And maybe all of us should put this verse, verse three, on all of our TVs and all of our computers. I will not set before my eyes anything that's worthless. Maybe we need to be like Job that says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze upon a virgin? You can't always help what you see. You go to Tybee, you're gonna see it. You go to the mall, you're gonna see it. You go to Starbucks, you're gonna see it. Unfortunately, sometimes you go to churches, you're gonna see things. But you can, do, you can, you can decide what you're gonna do with the second glance. You don't have to look in the rearview mirror you can change the channel and not go back. You can turn off the TV. Or maybe some of you just flat out need to go back to the rotary phone. Maybe some of you flat out just need to get rid of the internet. Because that's the dramaticness that Jesus talks about. That would be pursuing purity. That's what leaders do. That's their heart and their desire. They're worshipers and they pursue purity. And until, y'all, until sin is bitter... Christ cannot be sweet, okay? And so you have to see it as destructive, and it does destroy. Pursue purity. If there's, again, this is the song we wanna rise up in ourselves. If, if there's something, if there's this little secret behavior, this little deal that's going on over here, and you're, you're playing mind games now with this over here, today is the day to deal with it, to resolve in your heart, no. No, I want to pursue purity. Don't wait. Don't wait till it destroys. He worships, he pursues purity. And then one more thing. He chooses wisely. He picks wise company. The last four verses, he's going to highlight those who he is going to put in his court. He's the king. Who doesn't want to go work for the king, right? I mean, everyone wants to be around the king. Famous people, if Harrison Ford said, I need a pastor to follow me around and film Star Wars, I'm, I'm putting my resume in. I mean, who doesn't want to be Han Solo's pastor? I do, right? Indiana Jones and Han Solo, I'm game, man. Come on, bring me on, Han. I'll be Chewbacca for you, I don't care, right? Everyone wants to be around famous people. Who doesn't want to be around David? He's the king, he's the most powerful guy in the world. He's handsome, he's a warrior, he's a stud. Everyone wants to be around him. So how does he decide who he lets in and who he doesn't? How does he decide who comes to work for me? Who's my advisors? Who do I trust? He's going to give us some insight into those people who he wants around him. He says, I want certain people around me and I want certain people far from me. There's three types of people he wants far from me. Look at verse five. He says, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Now you're not the king. You can't go destroying nobody. Application point two, don't go destroy anybody. All right, but you can keep this type of person out of accessing your soul. He says, I don't want slanders. I don't want mouthy people in my inner circle. 
I don't want gossipers. I don't want trash talkers. I don't want, I don't want rumor spreaders. Why doesn't he want these people? Because he knows that bad company corrupts good morals. He knows that eventually you're, you're going to get caught up in the gossip. Eventually you're, you're going to get caught up in the slander. He says, I, I, I'm out. They we're out. They're not working for me. I want mouthy people gone. He says, I also want, I want cocky people gone. Whoever has haughty look and arrogant heart, I won't endure. I don't want cocky, mouthy people. Because I'm going to start being cocky if I'm hanging around with cocky people. And I don't want to be that. God is the one who appointed me. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a man who God made me the king. I don't want people who are going to be impressed with me. I don't want people who are just going to do it, who want to be around me because I'm the king because they want to be important. I don't want to be around arrogant people. Look, a great reminder for us. Any of us can get caught into, look who we are. We're Mr. Big Pants. If you think, no, I could never do that. Peter fell into it. Read Galatians. Barnabas, of all people, Barnabas, he falls into it. Won't hang out with these people over here. They're from the wrong side of the track. We want to be with these people because these people are the cool people. And Paul shows up and like, what is up? You're a bunch of hypocrites. Right? As a church, I constantly am trying to remind you and encourage you. Do not think that we are Mr. Big Pants. You're not. We're not. We are a bunch of sinful people who realize that Jesus is great. That's all we are. And I'll tell you. This is kind of pastoring 101. When I meet with cocky people who come in and think they're Mr. Big Pants, I really often will try to run them off. <laughs> I, sorry. Because I, it doesn't matter who you are out there. Everyone in here is a sinner saved by grace. Period. Boop. Doesn't matter what your job is. No one's impressed. Jesus is not impressed. So we're going to be one body all equally made in the image of God, period. Cocky, haughty, he says, I don't want them. I don't want them working for me. I want them out. And then he says, one more. Go jump down to verse seven. He says, no one who practices deceit. I don't want liars. They're not gonna dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue. He says, morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land. Again, he's the king, he can do that. In fact, he's supposed to. You're not the king, you can't do that. So don't go destroying the wicked, all right? Don't go try cutting off all the evildoers from Savannah, okay? Because you'd have to start with yourself, first of all, right? But he has a different role as the king of Israel under the old covenant. But he says, I don't want these three people. I don't want mouthy, cocky liars. I want them out. If, if you got your, your employees are trying to, hey, it's okay. We're just going to kind of this one month, we're going to, the numbers aren't lining up, so we're going to do this and. Right, Or your friends are like, we won't tell our wives we're going here, but we're, we're not going over here. Don't give these people access to your souls. Choose wisely. It's interesting. All three of these things that David wants out, you know that all three of them are described who? Satan. Right? All three of them. He's a slanderer. He's a diablos. That's what it means. He is proud and arrogant. That's why he got kicked out of heaven. And he is the father of lies. So he says, stay away from satanic people. That doesn't mean that we, here's what it doesn't mean. Doesn't mean we just all hide in here. Oh my goodness, let's all watch Fox News and talk about how bad the world is. Oh, it's so bad. Let's just hide and be, be good people. And No, that's not what we're talking about. We want you engaged with the culture. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, I told you not to associate with immoral people. I wasn't talking about the immoral people of the world. 
It's not talking about the people in the church that say they're Christians and they're, they're sleeping around. I'm talking about the people in the church who say this and then they go this. He said, I don't want you with them. They're gonna bring you down. I want you engaged with the culture because they need Christ. So we're not saying let's have a holy huddle and kind of, oh, well, how bad is it? The idea is who are you gonna let closest to your life? Who are you gonna let speak truth to you? It shouldn't be these because they'll take you away from Christ. Instead, it should be what? Verse six. He said, I will look with favor on who? On the faithful of the land. The one who tell the truth, the one who are sincere, the one who tell me not what I want to hear, they tell me what I need to hear. Is this too tight? Well, not if you're a scuba diver, but for everything else, yes. All right. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't wear it. All right. Uh, how are you doing in this area? They ask the hard questions. They're, they're there whether things are great or whether things are not great, whether you have money or whether you don't have money. They're faithful. He said, I want them around. You know who a great example of this is? Is Nathan the prophet who shows up and David thinks he's gotten away with everything. He says, you the man and not you the man. You're the man who is evil, right? You're the sinner. That's the faithful. He said, I want those people around me. They're gonna help me. I want the blameless, right? He who walks in the way that is blameless. Those who have the same convictions. They're not trying to push the envelope. Oh, it's no big deal if you do this. I do this and it's no big deal. I'm not convicted about this. Let's go watch this movie. Yeah, but I read that there's this, this, and this. Yeah, but it's no big deal. It's just like five nudity scenes. It's no big deal. We'll just go like this, all right? No, those who are blameless, those who are pursuing purity. Guys, surround yourself with guys who, who, who are going to keep you accountable, Right? I mean, if you go, if you know you're going on the business trip and all those guys are always, they always end up at that place, go get Chick fil A, go back to your hotel and watch Sports Center. That's what you do. Ladies, if you know every time you go to Starbucks with that group of girls, it always turns into slam the husbands, slam the this, then, then don't go. Right? Pursue the blameless, those who have the same convictions, and pursue those who are servants. He says, I want those who will minister to me. He said, I'm looking for three things. I'm looking for the faithful. I'm looking for the pure. I'm looking for those who are, have servants' hearts, who are other-centered. Those are the people I want working for me. Those are the ones I want speaking to me. A great, another example, who? Jonathan, David's best bud, who should have been the king. But he was so humble that he's like, no, God's made you the king. I want to serve you. That's the kind of people David says, I want in my life. And no matter how high or low you are on the chain, big brother, big boss, you need people in your life who will ask the hard questions, who will, who will get in your grill if necessary. I'm th there's a few men, I can count them on one hand, who I have given access to my life. My wife, number one, she's not a man, but she's, she's the closest. She's the one that can say, you know what, that sermon stunk, and you need to do this next time. And I'm going to say, well, I went to Dallas Seminary, you just did. No, I'm not gonna say that. I'm gonna say, you know what? You're probably right. I need to adjust that. I need to say that differently because she has access to me. There's a couple guys that can speak to me and say, you know what? This is good. This is bad. And I'll be like, you know what? It's, I've given them that freedom. I want them to do it. Now, here's the, here's the reality. And some of you know this and some of you are in the middle of it. The higher you get up on the quote chain, the easier it is to be alone and the more people want access to you. That's just the way it is. So you have to choose wisely, but you have to listen. Don't be a lone wolf wherever you're at. Don't, I, I'm all alone. You're, you're not. There's people here that will speak truth to you, but you gotta pursue them. You gotta choose to be with them, right? 
Choose wisely those who build into you and have access to you. That's David. He says, let this rise up. Let this be the Rocky song. Dun, 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 dun. Run up the hill. Run up the stairs. Worship. Pursue purity. Pick wisely those who have access to your soul. Those, those are people of influence. Whether it's two people, two little kids, two million employees. That's a leader. And I want to think about this. As we move to worship, think about this. If you know anything about David's life, most scholars agree that this psalm was probably written early in his reign. Early, he just becomes king. Every single thing David wanted to be, he failed. You realize that? He, wanted, he didn't want cocky, arrogant people around him. He becomes cocky and arrogant, so much so that he tries to number his people and God kills 30,000 of them like that because he becomes arrogant. He says, I want to be pure in my house. In his house, he commits adultery and murder. He says, I want to put good people around me and I'm going to deal with all these people or not. His son rapes his sister. He does nothing. His other son kills his brother. He does nothing. His general, his main confidant, Kills an innocent man, he does nothing. Every area he desires to be, he fails. Because resolve is not enough. That's why in verse two, he says, I will ponder the way that is blameless. And he makes this great statement. Oh, when will you come to me? Even he acknowledges up front that he needs God. He needs God. When will you come to me? And you know what? You can purpose in your heart and you can get all excited. Yes, I want to be pure. Yes, I want to worship. Yes, I want to get good people. You know what's going to happen? Just like me. I got the Rocky theme on. 12 seconds later, I'm winded. I'm like, oh, that was a great 12 seconds. But I'm tired. I can't do it. And you can't do it either. You need Christ to do it in you. The private fuels the public. And we don't have to cry out like David, when will you come to me? Because he came to us. In fact, Isaiah 5, verses 1 through really, really the first 10 verses, talks about the perfect leader, the root of Jesse, the one who would come from David, who fulfilled all these things, who was the perfect leader and, it, and became the perfect sacrifice for your sin. And now we say, God, didn't, we don't need to long. God, please come with us. No, God is with us. He has come. And if you are a follower of Christ, he has given you his spirit so that you may walk according to the spirit. But it doesn't come just because you want it. It comes when you submit yourself, you place yourself under him, that you pursue him and yield to his spirit. And, and that's what we're asked. As we worship in just a second through singing, it's a time for some of you, it's a time for repentance for some of you because some of you are playing with fire and you're about to get burned and you need to stop. And this is your time to say, I'm done. Others of you need to cry out, Lord, I need help in this area. I'm failing, I'm faltering, and that's a time for you. But it's for all of us to say, God is with us. He has not left us. He has not abandoned us. He empowers us to do the things he's called us to do. And to together remind ourselves of that. That's why this is important, to remind ourselves of what he has done, his steadfast love, his justice, what he is doing. That's what we worship for. And so as we sing, and this first song we're going to sing, it's a new one. It's real simple, but it talks, it's God is with us. He is our strength. He is the only way we can do this. And if you're not, you're not spending time with him, then you're not being empowered by him. It's just reality. 
So let's resolve to walk by the Spirit and let Him perform good deeds which He has prepared beforehand that we might walk in them.